This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The Tokyo Olympics are set to open officially tomorrow. And as if they were not sufficiently plagued with problems, this morning the director of the opening ceremonies was fired for inappropriate jokes about the Holocaust. Earlier this week, a composer quit the team creating the ceremony after it emerged that he had bullied classmates with disabilities at school. And in March, the Olympics' creative chief, quit after suggesting that a plus-size comedian named Naomi Watanabe could appear as a, quote, Olympic. Uh, he later apologized, and before that, yet another organize, organizing committee official was forced to step down after complaining that women talk too much in meetings. So uh, there you go, all of that on top of the main problem of these COVID Olympics, and that is COVID. Japan has declared a state of emergency with an average of more than 3,000 cases a day and only about 20% of the population vaccinated. And by the way, the athletes were not required to be vaccinated in order to participate. And perhaps that's the reason there have been more than 90 positive cases in the Olympic Village. The people of Tokyo don't want these games. So one question I have is, do you? Will you be watching? Will you be paying attention? Do you think that this is a smart thing to be doing? Uh, they've said repeatedly they can keep the athletes safe, but, uh, you know, the evidence does not seem to bear that up. Let me know what you think. Or should we have just taken a pass on the whole thing? The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Jane Thornton is a Canadian Olympian. She competed for Canada in rowing in the 2008 Beijing Games. She is now a sport and exercise medicine physician and Canada Research Chair in Injury Prevention and Physical Activity for Health at Western University. Dr. Michael Narain is Assistant Professor in the Department of Sport Management at Brock University. And Dr. Alon Vaisman epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist at the University Health Network. Hello and welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello, Libby. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, well, let us begin with Dr. Thornton. So as a former Olympian, uh, are you excited? What what are you thinking as as we head into these games? Uh, Yeah, it's a great question. I think uh, we're all really excited. I mean, it's former... I, you know, people that have gone to the Olympics and things like that, we all get a sense of potentially nostalgia would be one thing, but more so anticipation and really a, you know, a sense of pride. I know there's a, there always seems to be one thing that goes on prior to the Olympics. It's a, it's a very, um, it can be a contentious uh, game in, in any event. Um, but the one thing that is, is clear from the perspective of the athletes, uh, and that's really my focus is to, um, uh, to emphasize that the, the persistence and resilience of our athletes that are representing Canada and those that are able to show the world stage what they've been doing for the past several years, it's really been a difficult year for the athletes. So we all feel for them and especially wanting to ensure the safety and health of all athletes that, that participate at an Olympics. So it is one for the ages. It is unprecedented. unprecedented. Um, but there are some bright spots that are seeming to come through in the sense of athletes rising up and uh, still trying to deliver and be really great ambassadors for the country. Dr. Vaisman, uh, do you think that these Olympics should be going ahead and that the athletes can compete safely? Yeah, that's a tough question. Certainly there's a lot of challenges for the Olympics. One of them is that, as you mentioned, the athletes are not required to be vaccinated primarily because it's, uh, vaccination isn't readily available in many countries around the world. 
And coupled with that is the fact that they're going to be living in close quarters and also Japan itself uh, you know, doesn't have a high degree of vaccination and is currently having a rise in cases. So it's, it's a hard question to answer whether it should be going on at all. I think we'll know very quickly, and I hope that there's measures in place to say, you know, if such and such number of cases arise and they're going to cancel it. But it, it is, um, you know, troubling that athletes may be put at risk given uh, how many cases are, are arising now. Dr. Narain, are you surprised that there are more than 90 positive cases in the Olympic Village? Uh, no, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. Uh, I mean, we are in a global health pandemic, and certainly um, it hasn't is yet to be eradicated. And so certainly when you have a condensed space uh, where, where you're bringing in people from all over the world, um, these things are likely to happen. I, I think to, to go back to the original question of whether or not these games should even take place, it's it's really hard to stop a, a commercial train like this. I mean, we've seen you know time and time again over the past forty years, really, that uh, the Olympic movement is really drawn or, or advanced by the commercial interests of sponsors and media. And so, really, to say that should we have the games? I mean, that's the ethical question. But would the games stop? I'm not so sure, not so sure that these games ever would have stopped. And, and you know, clearly. Uh, taking a pause for one year was enough for the IOC and, and for organizers to say, okay, well, you know what, we have to make good on our agreements and we have to continue this train, even though in the face of public dissent. Dr. Thornton, it's, they've already been postponed for a year. From an athlete's perspective, what impact have, has that had and, and, and what would the impact of, of cancelling them altogether be? Well, it really does depend on the athlete. And we noticed that some athletes, for example, have had to retire early or they, I mean, really in a perspective of looking at the age range of a lot of these athletes, they are really in that 20 to 30, sometimes older age range, but they're putting potentially careers or lives on hold and things like that. So obviously when there's delays, it's, uh, even, even if it's just one year, it still can have a alert impact. So we've seen some athletes retire um, and decide not to go further to another game. But in fact, sometimes it's it's allowed new athletes to come up. I think of Canadian swimmers, a 14-year-old who's now able to make the team that might not have been able to before. There's a famous um, lower in, uh, in the Olympic team for Great Britain who's able to come back now. She had uh, a pair of twins that are now a year old, uh, but she would not have returned for a three-peat uh, for an appearance at the Olympic Games. So, it really does depend. For some athletes, they were primed and ready to go last year, and others were injured, and they've had a chance to rehab their injuries and come back stronger. So it really does have a varying impact on the, on on athletes, depending on where they are in their training cycle, how well they're doing, if they're rising, uh, rising star or someone who is just on the edge of retiring anyway. So I think we'll see a lot of different types of performance in new and emerging stars, and, and certainly we'll be missing some of those that could not uh, continue because of that year delay. Dr. Noreen, you've talked about the commercial interests, and obviously that's the case, but uh, uh, what about the argument for the athletes? You know, they train so long for this one moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's really tough, you know, listening to Dr. Thornton's comments, you know, that there's, there's the sad stories. And then there's obviously some of these uplifting stories of younger athletes and, and athletes who are able to rehab and recover. I, I think, you know, from the commercial side of things, which again, for a lot of individuals, that's not necessarily the primary motivation. But when we think about the Olympic movement across stakeholders, including media and sponsorship, there have been billions of dollars invested. And so, Unfortunately, again, depending on your viewpoint, the athletes are sort of seen sometimes as, uh, I want to say almost like the means to the end. And, and for a lot of these organizers and, and, and media and sponsorship individuals where, um, and entities where billions of dollars have been invested into advertising, billions into activation. Um, and so for a Toyota, a Samsung, I mean, there are obviously some big names, the Andre de Grasses of the world, the Christine St. Clairs, that you certainly want to see excel at the next level. But having the event, uh, regardless of who is there, is more is probably probably the most important piece to this pie from a commercial standpoint. Because without the sport property continuing, without the event, the spectacle uh, of billions of people watching over this next two week period, 
you don't have anything to activate. You don't have anything to showcase your brand and associate with. And so, again, for the Samsungs, the Panasonics, the, the Toyotas of the world, this, this, is, this two-week period is going to be crucial for them to, to, short of, to, excuse me, to showcase their brands and their association with a positive global uh, unification piece like the Olympics movement. Dr. Vaisman, what do you make of the fact it, it's very clear that people in Tokyo do not want this thing? Um, wh- what do you make of the whole, I don't know if spectacle is the right word, but, you know, this whole thing where it's kind of being in, inflicted on the people who live there? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. There's obviously the economic side of what is the economic benefit to the locals uh, living in Tokyo and then in Japan from the Olympics, which uh, I'm not sure about, but then also the health impact. So, you know, it's easy to see that in a, during a pandemic, something like sports, uh, especially when you're looking at Japan with numbers rising in cases and the Delta variant being more predominant, we know that it's associated with more transmissibility and that the vaccine numbers are very low comparatively in Japan, that, you know, taking any risks like this would maybe be seen as unnecessary. And certainly we see, we saw an analogous example here in Canada where sports teams weren't given, um, you know, any kind of leeway to be able to go back and forth across the border, that all, all our sports teams had to be moved to the U.S., or there were bubbles here. So you can certainly understand why they don't want to take any chances in exposing people to the variants, which now are coming from across the world. You know, there's, there's athletes coming from every single corner of the world now to Japan. So they're going to have to do a very, very good job to reduce the exposure of the athletes to the local people there. Uh, Let me give the numbers out again. And and people, uh, I would like you to let me know if you are going to be watching the Olympics. Do you care? Uh, What do you think? Should they be going on at all? And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if all of this is casting a pall on the folks at home, who, after all, are the targets of all that branding and sponsorship and whatnot. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. We're talking about the Olympics. The opening ceremonies are set to go tomorrow. Uh, the guy directing them was just fired for inappropriate Holocaust comments. There seems to have been a string of other departures from organizers for similar, if you want to call them, gaffes. Um, And uh, we have this whole issue of COVID, more than 90 positive cases, the people of Tokyo not wanting these games to go ahead. And and Dr. Thornton, again, on the the other side of it, we have the athlete side, they train. This is a milestone in their lives. Uh, But what do you think of of the fact that they are going and, and participating in these games when really the people who live there don't want it? Yeah, I think I think that's a really great question, and and no matter what, I mean, as a physician as well, that's also there that public health aspect, and you know the amount of uh, the work that we've had to do. The I mean, I was working at a vaccination clinic and seeing the relief that would come across people's faces when they had their vaccine dose administered for the first time back in January, and you know what's happened to us uh, in this profession over the past year and a half now has been uh, just a incredible toll on the healthcare system, on doctors, on nurses, on, on healthcare professionals in general. And so, of course, there's that that comes to mind, the thinking that, uh, you know, if, in terms of how how we can afford to have athletes go over there for competitions and sports and things like that. And I'm reminded of a few things that we've seen so far that this isn't the first sporting event that's gone on, obviously, um, since the pandemic began. And the one, there are a couple of reassuring things that are coming out from, from the perspective, at least between the amount of interaction between the public and those that are in the Olympic Village. I mean, in an ideal world, of course, it would be fantastic to have athletes all vaccinated. And we do have to think about as well that even though we're doing really well in Canada in terms of our vaccination rate, in poor and lower income um, countries that don't have access to vaccines, it's also a hard argument to sell that those that wouldn't be able to compete because they don't have access to vaccines as well, 
So I, I can't comment on all of that. Just I don't I don't want to speak out of, of my own field for sure from the perspective of infectious disease rates and what may happen. But I think it is of concern to all of us in the sense of we really ultimately want everyone to have uh, be safe, be safe, and be healthy throughout these Olympics. So I think the the reassuring reports that I've received, at least, are that um, having not been on the ground, of course, uh, myself, but that the separation between the public in Tokyo and those athletes does seem to be there that are real restrictions in place. There's masking going on. There's physical distancing so that precautions are being taken. Whether or not that'll be enough, I, I you know, as your, my colleagues are saying, it's really, really hard to say at this moment. Um, but I do wish that, and I do hope for the athletes that everyone does come back safe. Um, at the end of the day, that does matter more than than uh, games or, or medals. Let's take a call from Mike in Bowmanville. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Thanks for taking my. Are you there? Hello. It was. Would I have any? Would people have any interest in the Olympic Games? You know, I, I think the whole concept of the Olympic Games has been cheapened and adulterated by drug use. Um, it, you have to wonder the sprinters and the. The cyclists and anybody else, there's so many of them are caught using drugs. You have to wonder if the people who get the gold medals have got the best therapists. So, first of all, I have no interest in it, whatever, and I'm not going to watch it. Secondly, do I think it should be held at the moment? I think the answer is no. There's undoubtedly a possibility of exponentially spreading this COVID virus. And all I had to do was to delay it either until the Japanese population is adequately protected by vaccination or until the COVID situation has quietened down. I mean, they didn't hold the Olympic Games during World War II. And this would appear to be as disruptive a force globally as was World War II. Thank you, Mike, for your call. There you go. Okay, uh, we're basically out of time. I'm going to give everybody 20 seconds, starting with Dr. Alon Vaisman. Yeah, I think... Uh, I- you know, now that things are going ahead over the next few days, there's going to be need to be a lot of attention about precautions for the athletes, making sure they're, they're kept safe, the population in Japan. And then the third group that we don't think about that often is what happens when these uh, individuals come back to their home nations. There needs to be protocols in place to make sure that the home nations are also not exposed to variants or whatever strains that are picked up in the Olympic Games. That's a very interesting point. Uh, Dr. Narain, your 20 seconds. Yeah, uh, so I, I would say to the caller, I, I, I completely agree. You know, we have 85% of Canadians watching uh, the games in Rio um, with an average of 2 million people uh, per, per, per event. And I think that number is going to be significantly lower, as we've seen across the board in many sport properties. And Dr. Thornton. Yeah, I think some great points have been raised by my colleagues and also the caller. And I just want to say, I think we're all on the same page. We ultimately want the health and safety of our athletes. You uh, strongly believe in the concept of sport for social good as well. And uh, I, for one, will be cheering on our athletes. And uh, and I know that they will continue to inspire generations to come. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Alon Vaisman, Dr. Michael Narain, and Dr. Jane Thornton. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Um, Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ontario's science advisory table thinks that vaccine passports or vaccine certificates are a good idea. We will be talking to Dr. Peter Uni on the other side of the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Ontario's COVID-19 science advisory table has come out in favor of vaccine passports. Certificates would be a better word. The table published a 21-page brief saying that vaccine certificates could be useful in reopening higher-risk settings in the province sooner. Those are places like indoor dining, bars, gyms, cultural and sporting events. Dr. Peter Uni is scientific director of the province's COVID-19 science advisory table. And he says the only way to deal with this is to make a distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated people. He joins me now. Hi, thank you so much for being with us. 
Hi, for, uh, thanks for having me again. So uh, you say that we need to do this. I think, you know, the point is we would need to consider it now. We just have a reality here, and this reality right now is called the Delta variant. It just won't go away. And, you know, rather than having to rush something in a few weeks or months when it's inevitable, we should now just, you know, broadly discuss the issue and acknowledge the challenges um, like privacy, equity, accessibility. That's all really, really important that we get this right. And then just have more of an attitude like Quebec has just to, that says, okay, if we need it, we have things prepared that we can use it if needed. And, you know, perhaps we're lucky and we don't have to right now. It doesn't look as if uh, considering the situation we're in. Dr. Uni, obviously you are from Europe. These things have are being used in Europe and uh, there isn't there i i don't see much opposition to them as a matter of fact when uh, uh, emmanuel macron said that people would need uh, vaccination passports to get into certain fun places uh, they suddenly were overwhelmed with people getting vaccinated so uh, as somebody from europe uh, what do you make of it when you see the kind of uh, certificate hesitancy we have here Oh, it depends it's entirely on the country. So you're completely right with France. You know, the uh, the um, number of registrations for getting vaccinated went up. But there's also the French drama happening right now. We need to be aware of that. You know, this went very fast. That's not how to do it. You know, from, from zero to 100, very quickly, we would like to have a discussion. We would like to leverage the sense of community in, in Ontario and in Canada in general much better. So where it really works well, apparently, is in Denmark, for example, the Danes are very pragmatic. Uh, it actually works well, even though there's now a little bit of controversy in my home country in Switzerland. Um, it works well uh, in, in, in other places. So the point is, it's probably inevitable that we at least need this in our toolbox if we don't want to restrict again. Did you know that today is a really quite a symbolic day, unfortunately, for all of us? For the first time since... Uh, April 20th, uh, our effective reproduction number R jumps above one again, indicating we start with exponential growth again in this province. This shows you we don't have that much time to lose for two things. To get everything right with getting people vaccinated, we still have loads of people out there, you know, who are not. And to have this discussion to find solutions if we need. We don't want, you know, this patchwork then of of, uh, you know, certificates or paperwork or so organized by private companies. We'd rather want that, you know, coming from uh, the provinces and the Fed. You know, uh, I know your expertise is medical, not legal, but but one of the issues is, and, and for certain venues, the province has said, you know, for instance, with uh, with higher education, they've said universities should prepare to open completely fully, but if anyone wants to institute a different thing, go ahead. And, and to me, for businesses and for public places like universities, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a legal catch 22 because on the one hand, you are required to provide a, serve, a safe workplace. Uh, and on the other, you know, people can now argue that you're violating their privacy or, or whatever it would be. Yeah, you see, I'm, I, I, it's completely uh, correct what you say. I don't have a clue if it comes to legal aspects here, but talking to my colleagues who actually do have a clue, this can all be addressed, you know, and rather in this situation, rather than just, you know, looking away, we probably should just face the music. It may be needed. If it's not needed, wonderful, but uh, there's a fair chance that we need it. And then how do we deal with it that we, you know, for instance, have um, a, a, a certificate that also allows people without internet access or without a smartphone actually to use it. So we need to have forge-proof um, paper copies that work, etc. All of that needs to be dealt with. And it can be handled, but we just would need a little bit of preparational time. And if things will be completely hunky-dory because all of a sudden 90% of our population is vaccinated with two doses, even better. 
Well, even with the smartphones, I mean, this is a topic for another day, but that Arrive Can app did not necessarily work that well. And people who fulfilled everything on the Arrive Can app were still getting uh, threatening notices saying they really had to be in quarantine. That's a whole other issue and and not one um, for you, doctor. Uh, But uh, again, yes, uh, those things can all be addressed. But, you know, what, what we're looking at now is this kind of patchwork where a private business or a private venue is going to say you have to be vaccinated and, and the province is just, you know, stepping back and folding its hands. Absolutely. You know, that's the point here. If we actually are proactive, you know, one step ahead, we're really now still in a good position, even though the honeymoon is over, our creeps above one, we're still in one of the best places in the world if it comes to the Delta variant. You need to be aware of that. So we still have a little bit of time. Let's discuss that and let's find solutions rather than always contemplating problems. Hmm. Uh, now, I want to revisit something that you uh, were saying earlier, which I found very interesting. And uh, you have said that for people who are not vaccinated, they are sure to get COVID by the end of next year. Yeah, that's true. You know, we need to be aware of that. This thing starts to behave a bit like measles. You know, it's about half as transmissible as measles. And uh, and what is sure is that you can just go to the UK or to the Netherlands, then you see how this happens in real time right now. This virus finds nearly everybody who is unvaccinated, and uh, this will just happen depending on how much we reopen. And our task at hand is A, to protect the healthcare system, that it's not getting overwhelmed, and B, make very clear that people have a choice now, and the choice really is between a vaccine, which is highly effective and safe, and natural infection, which is not a walk in the park for quite a few people. Some people will just be completely fine, and it's just really uh, a minor infection, or they stay even asymptomatic. There will be a lot of people who will be challenged, long covid hospital admissions, potentially ICU admissions. Look right now what we have in our province. We have roughly 140 people still on ICU. Guess what their um, average age is? It's 50. 25% of people on ICU right now for COVID-19 are below the age of 40. I would imagine it's partly because that's the age of people who are unvaccinated. A vaccine hesitancy, not really an issue for uh, the older population. Oh, yeah, it's it's really quite remarkable. So right now, you know, we have some sort of linear behavior here. So the 12 to 17-year-olds, 40% still haven't had the first dose. 18 to 20, 29-year-olds, 30%. 30 to, uh, f- uh, sorry, where I am, 30 to a 39-year-old um, will be 25% that are still unvaccinated and so on. So when we look at that, we have a long way to go, but we can do it. I can't imagine, you know, that... Uh, the, uh, the the 30% of 18 to 29-year-olds are all just not wanting the vaccine, but they need to be aware of that now is the time to get it. We need to get this done. And all those who are unvaccinated out there just hold us back, hold the province back. And we just want to change that. If we can do that together, we were an international success story in Ontario. Let's keep it that way and let's be better. Let's get better and let's be creative to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Okay, then there's, of course, the other controversial part. Again, one that I don't understand is not that controversial elsewhere, and that is mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers. Yeah, uh, again, you know, in a situation like this, we're in the middle of a pandemic and there will be, you know, now case numbers increasing again. We need then to compromise there. And the point is, uh, this is well established also in other places and in other times. If you're in an outbreak situation and you have certain jobs, then you need to be able to protect everybody around you where you're working. And this just means that, you know, mandatory vaccines or, you know, at least um, either vaccines or, you know, additional training or whatever it is, 
will just need to be on the table. And I think there are quite a lot of people out there now who just agree on that part. It's just tough. You can't, we see that now in some outbreaks we have also in long-term care homes. These outbreaks are triggered by unvaccinated people. This is unethical and we just can't do that. Well, exactly. And, uh, you know, I've, I've just returned from a bit of a holiday, so I, I, I haven't uh, followed all the last numbers. But before I left, there was one person in a long-term care home who died. Still, I'm assuming that the resident was probably vaccinated because the resident population was vaccinated. It was from an unvaccinated worker. Yeah, we need to be aware of that. You know, if we have um, vaccinated people, especially if they're vulnerable, repeatedly exposed um, to infected, unvaccinated people who have a high viral load in their upper respiratory tract, the vaccine imperfection, it's a really great vaccine, but it's not 100% effective. This will come uh, and will, will realize itself, this imperfection, and then you will start to see people who still end up in hospital, who still end up in ICU and who still die because there's a push then of uh, the, the, the force of infection that may be too high in a certain situation. And that's what we want to avoid. If people are vaccinated who are vulnerable or only exposed to people who are also vaccinated, this risk is very, very low, but it's not so low if somebody remains unvaccinated. So we have an ethical obligation there. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We can't be you know, of the same attitude that we have in regular days. This is not regular days. Well, uh, you know, you're the science advisory table. The premier keeps saying that he's listening to the experts. On this, he is obviously not listening. I mean, what is your sense of how seriously you are being taken, not you personally, but the whole table? Let's see how this goes. You know, so far we always had very good and constructive discussions at, you know, uh, at the different levels. And, you know, we just need to be aware of this. There is no such thing as completely unproblematic decisions during a pandemic. And this is, again, this will take time. You know, what I just see is I can't see many alternatives. So we'd rather plan early now and address all the concerns. And there are concerns. You know, we shouldn't say, oh, this is just unproblematic. You mentioned it with the uh, with the app, the federal app, for example. We need to really make sure that we have something that actually works and doesn't discriminate against people. And uh, we can do that. And, uh, you know, the point is, when we, there will be a point in time relatively soon where we need to make a decision. What do we do? Do we start to impose restrictions for everybody? Or do we start to use something like a vaccine certificate? That's probably inevitable. So uh, let's just see how it goes. I sense a certain openness in some of the people. And uh, let's see what the premier says in the future. Okay, final question. Uh, The opening ceremonies for the Olympics are tomorrow. What do you think of the Olympics going ahead and, and will you be watching? Oh, uh, you know, I, I had, a, I'm not sure whether that's an English word, boycott. I had a boycott for the for the Euro 2020 because they completely messed everything up they possibly could. Uh, I think the Olympics are much better. It's not perfect and it's, of course, challenging, but uh, it's in a, been in a much better place there compared with Euro 2020. You know, all the Delta outbreaks you see in Europe, yeah, blame the Euro 2020. So much more positive regarding the Olympics. Are there challenges? Of course they are. Um, and we need to keep seeing how it goes. But I think they should be sort of okay, considering where we are right now. Are you going to watch? Uh, we'll see. Probably I will. I, you know, I caved with the Euro 2020. I didn't watch any game, but I needed to see the finals. You know, miserable of me. But here I'll probably watch. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter Uni, the Scientific Director of the province's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We are taking another break. When we return, well, uh, you know, we are opening the border to fully vaccinated American tourists, but they aren't letting us in. We'll drill down on that on the other side of the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, I have to say it was a surprise to me. 
I was under the impression that we Canadians wanted to keep the border with the U.S. closed and the Americans were the ones who were keen to open up. But it seems the opposite is true. Yesterday, the Liberal government announced that fully vaccinated Americans will be able to come here as of August the 9th. But the Biden administration did not reciprocate, and we will be barred from the states until at least the 21st of August. So what do you think of that? Does that put a wrench in your plans? Do you think it's unfair? Or are you just as happy that we'll be getting some of those American dollars, but we won't be uh, spending our loonies over there? 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 uh, Does the fact that we can't go over to the states, even if we're fully vaccinated, at least not yet, is that putting a wrench in your plans? Right now, let's go to Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and Mayor Jim Diodati, who is the Mayor of Niagara Falls, Ontario. Hello and welcome. Thanks for having Great us. pleasure to be with you and, uh, and His Worship. Okay, well, let's <laughs> let's you. begin with his worship. So this must be very good news for your economy. Well, you know, Libby, it is. And but you know, I have to tell you, growing up in a border town, our communities are so tightly interwoven and integrated that even when I travel in the US, it's amazing how many people will say to me, I thought you were Canadian. And I say I am and they said, Well, how can you be the mayor of Niagara Falls? They don't realize there are two Niagara Falls, one in Canada and one in the U.S. And I work really closely with Mary Ray Stano in Niagara Falls, New York, and I'm in regular contact with congressmen and senators about this issue, and we're all surprised. So we did get the heads up before the announcement. So on the weekend, I was speaking with Congressman Brian Higgins, and he's been a big advocate for opening the border on both sides. And even he was in shock. He said, wow, because Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had been pressuring our ambassador and saying, if you don't open... We may unilaterally open, and here we are beating them to the punch. It was a surprise for everybody. Okay, well, we'll we'll try to figure out some of the reasons in a bit. Rocco Rossi, what do you think of this? Is this something that could ultimately benefit us? Uh, Well, we're never benefited when there are restrictions, Uh, and... um, and so I'm with uh, I'm with the mayor. Uh, very surprised. It is not backed up by science. Uh, vaccines are game changers, and uh, we've now been told by the Canadian government when and how the game changes. August 9th, um, and the U.S. Uh, should uh, be reciprocating um, because it's been way too long, and and we're so integrated. This isn't simply neighbors. These are family, friends, work colleagues, uh, people who have properties on both sides of, uh, of the border, and really, really crucial that it be open, but it be opened appropriately to fully vaccinated uh, individuals. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I had the pleasure of experiencing how intertwined it was. I, I got an honorary do- do- doctorate from Niagara University uh, on the U.S. side, and, uh, you know, it, it was hard to fathom that there was actually a border there, frankly. Uh, absolutely. And you, you think about everything from uh, integrated supply chains on the business side to how important uh, tourism is, or even, you know, whether it's Niagara Falls, whether it's Windsor to Detroit. I mean, people before the pandemic thought nothing of going over either way for a show or for lunch or um, because, to your point, uh Libby, this is the world's longest undefended border for a very good reason, and that is that we are so close. And uh, it was crucial that the Canadian government open up the border for fully vaccinated uh, American tourists because, you know, when the province announced phase three and, you know, a, a larger reopening, for a border town where so much of the traffic depends on on tourists, that that reopening was was meant far less without a reopened border, uh, and the same is true for our neighbors south of the border, 
know, with these restrictions on fully vaccinated Canadians at a time where now Canada has exceeded the United States in terms of levels of vaccination. Okay, let's take a call from Debbie in Keswick. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Tell me about what you uh, had planned. Okay. Um, I've been invited to a memorial uh, for my aunt in Buffalo uh, on August uh, 6th and 7th. Um, I'm getting my second dose tonight uh, so that I'm in ready, but I'm just waiting for the word to to go across the border. I have to rent a car and I have to book a motel room, so it all depends whether or not I'll be able to go. So it's, uh, it's just a comment that I have. I'm patiently waiting as it changes every day. Yeah, well, as of as of today, you can't. But I have to say that I know somebody who had to go to the United States for a memorial for a family member, and she did go. I don't know the whole mechanism of how she was allowed to go. You can always fly there, I guess. Um, yeah, I did call the uh, Canada border. They told me to call the U.S. border, and then they told me to call the port of entry but the port of entry aren't taking any live call. It's all done through email, and it's a 72-hour wait for an email. So uh, there's just so many uh, so many things for something so simple, but uh, thank you for that. Okay, well, um, good luck to you, Debbie. So uh, we see it's it's not just for pleasure. Um, Mayor Diodati, uh, do you have a sense of why this was? You were saying that it was a surprise. One of the things that I read about it was that it had to do with hesitations about opening up the Mexican border, and they felt they couldn't open one and not the other. Does does that ring any bell with you? Yeah, and uh, I can tell you, uh, Congressman Higgins made mention of that because they know, as uh, Rocco pointed out, Canada's got done a better job at fully vaccinating the population. So we're certainly no risk to them. But he did mention that the U.S. does have two borders and they are sensitive to that. So I'm guessing that was partly part, uh, why it was factored in. The other major issue he did tell me, they're dealing with a $3.5 trillion bill that was being dealt with yesterday. And he says, and it's been taking all of their time, all hands on deck. So they've been distracted by that as well. But I can tell you, uh, even the mayor of Niagara Falls, New York, as we spoke, and, and Rocco was exactly right. When you live here, I remember when I was a kid, you didn't even carry ID to cross the border. And then after 9-11, you carried a passport, now a vaccine passport. But we'd go across to pick up food, go for dinner, go shopping. My mom and dad, every Thursday, would cross over, go shopping, then go for dinner, maybe visit some friends and come back. And that goes back and forth. Even here in Niagara, along Lake Erie, 43% of the properties along the lake in Niagara are owned by Americans. And a good deal of the properties in the South Towns, where the chalets are in Delicateville and in and, and that area, Holiday Valley, Kissing Bridge, are owned by Canadians. So we are very integrated and we don't see it as a border when you live along the border it's just another part of town you don't think of it you just think of it as crossing into the other part of town not crossing into another country uh we at the beginning heard all these stories about people crossing the border on foot and then or renting a cab or something like that is that still going on Oh, yeah. So what's happening right now, there's a few things. Number one, it's been said it's easier to fly to Paris than drive to Buffalo. So you can fly from Toronto. So our friend in Keswick could fly from Toronto to Buffalo and drive back, take an Uber back all day long. The other thing that people do, uh, Niagara District Airport. Just a minute. Let me, let, region. I, 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 have, I have some questions about that. Yeah, so you get sure. in an Uber and they don't check you at the border? Oh, yeah. They stop you, but you're allowed to cross. Uh, you cannot keep a Canadian from coming into Canada. As long as you've got your negative test, uh, there are no, you come right across. And I know people personally, a lot of people that do it on a regular basis. It's a way of skirting the issue. So you're allowed to fly over all day long. You can't drive over, but you can drive back. So that's the way <laughs> it's been for quite some time. Um Rocco, do does any of the the weirdness and the the uneven unfairness does that hit business as well? Absolutely. I mean, uncertainty and complexity is the uh, enemy of business. It's also it's also the enemy of doing the right thing 
from a public health standpoint. When you have clarity, when there's focus that, look, this is going to be allowed, but the proper channel is you're fully vaccinated. Uh, it provides additional incentive to encourage people to do the right thing, which is to get vaccinated. And it rewards those who have done it. I mean, there's all this talk of we need to have incentives to get people vaccinated and their lotteries and things like that. Just tell me what I get to do uh, with the vaccination. And that is the that is the incentive beyond the fact that it saves lives and it helps protect uh, my friends, families and neighbors. Uh, yeah. So, Mayor Diodati, uh, do you expect a resolution? Do you think that they will take another look at this or uh, not before August the 21st? I, I know they're looking at it for certain. And, and 75 House members petitioned President Biden. I think it's going to be one of these under promise, over deliver scenarios because they're well aware of what's going on. There's huge political pressure to open up the border to make it not equitable, uh, unilateral, but make it equitable. And, and I think they're well aware that there's people beating the, the rules. And as I was alluding to earlier, the Niagara District Airport here in Niagara, there's a helicopter service you can take that flies you just over the border, drops you at the Niagara Falls, New York Airport, and then you can go catch a plane there or take an Uber to the Buffalo Airport. They'll even arrange to bring your car over. So there's all sorts of very, very busy businesses skirting the border issue. It's like prohibition for people. It's it's a crazy time right now, but people are figure, have figured it out, and they're skirting the they're skirting the rules. Well, I, I mean, it's also expensive those things. Yes, it is. It's it's I think about three thousand uh, dollars to have your car and your people flown over. And I mean, it's a it's a five minute helicopter ride, but it's it's expensive, and they've added on a bunch of helicopters. It's that busy. <laughs> well, I'll bet. Advantage. Yes. Yeah. It's it it sounds like it's it's a good business. Uh, your Worship, uh, are, do you think that it's possible? I mean, we know the Biden administration is pretty protectionist. Uh, you don't think that has anything to do with it? Well, I, I think, and Rocco was right. I mean, if we're going to do this uh, science-based, and Dr. Fauci has already said, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, the issues are not with people who are fully vaccinated. And we've always said, follow the science. Let's do it in the right, in the correct manner. So we're doing it in the right in the right way. And it's the Americans, a lot of them are kind of embarrassed because they're usually the ones out first. Now they're reacting. So they're all quite surprised that they've taken this position after posturing all this time to get us to open. And then they're not ready. So I don't know if there's a little bit of politics going on behind the scenes, but I can tell you there's a lot of pressure for the Americans to open up to the Canadians. And I've said, hey, we're happy to take all of your leisure dollars here in Canada, you know, and they don't like the idea of that because it has a big impact. Yeah, their dollars go a lot further here. I'm going to give the numbers out again. We do have a few minutes left. Uh, if uh, anybody has anything to say about their plans to travel to the U.S., I mean, I was thinking, you know, I always like to take a trip to New York City. Maybe not right now, but if it's going to be a hassle, forget it. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, Rocco, do you think this uh, left our politicians with kind of egg on their face going blah, 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 they, you know, they should do what they think is right? No, I, I don't think uh, you ever go wrong doing the right thing. And the right thing is to uh, open the border to fully vaccinated um, individuals. Um, so I don't think our uh, our politicians wear this. I think very much um, uh, the Biden administration is wearing this. And, you know, I take uh, the mayor's points with respect to the fact that there are two borders and also that they're so focused on this massive infrastructure bill. And, 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 and to be fair on the two border issue, it, it's not simply, well, we're doing some such a better job than, than Mexico and therefore we should be rewarded. They, they shouldn't. The fact of the matter is um, the, the vast majority of vaccine that has been distributed in the world has been distributed to wealthy countries. Um, and and so those that have been less well off. So from an equity standpoint, I get the point, but you've got to go back to the science. And there is no uh, equity in 
in biting off your nose to spite your face and say, well, we can't do it for Mexico, so we're not going to do it for Canada. I mean, that, that, that's just bad thinking. It's let's do this. And now uh, that, uh, that demand is slowing for vaccinations in both the U.S. and Canada, let's make sure we get as many um, shots to our friends and allies in Mexico, because this is, this is crucial to to NAFTA, it's not simply, it's not about, not just about tourism. We have integrated supply chains. We have supply chain issues now when you have outbreaks uh, in, in factories and businesses. Uh, and so it's in also in our self-interest as well as an ethical imperative to assist the rest of the world. We don't want to leave any spot in the world where COVID has large populations to continue to mutate and cause more danger for the rest of us. So let's get the, let's get the border open. Let's get that activity happening. And then let's do everything in our power um, to accelerate things for our neighbors uh, south of the border in Mexico as well. Uh, Final quick question, Mayor Diodati. Um, do you anticipate any problems with which vaccines are going to be recognized with Springsteen for a while? They didn't want to recognize AstraZeneca, which is not approved in the States. We've just been hearing about some cruise lines saying, if you've mixed your vaccines, we're, we're not going to let you on board. Do you anticipate any of those problems? Or have you had any contact with the Americans over that issue? Yeah, we have. And I think we're ironing things out. The irony is all of the four approved ones in Canada are, are sold to us from the United States, <laughs> yeah. uh, which which is a little bit ironic. And we're saying follow the World Health Organization when you're determining what will be allowed, because if every country has, has a different set of rules, international travel is going to be a disaster. And, and Niagara Falls here, we're the number one leisure destination in Canada. We get we have 14 million people every year. Typically, 25% come from the U.S., and they represent 50% of the dollars that come into our community. And, and another stat for you, 40,000 people count on tourism in Niagara Falls to feed their families. So we need to get it right. We also don't want border delays. Typically, it's a 32-second crossing wait, and right now it's going to be around five minutes. So We've got the casino open tomorrow. We've got patios everywhere. All the attractions are open. Niagara Falls is bustling once again, and we want to make sure we've got one chance to get it right because when the summer season's over, things quiet down, and that revenue has to carry them through the rest of the year. Well, well, maybe you'll get some of our, our listeners from Toronto come and visit. I uh, hope so. Thank you very much. Mayor Jim Diodati, Niagara Falls, Ontario, and Rocco Rossi, CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Thanks. Thank you. Great pleasure. And that is all the time we have for today. Remember, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. And if you couldn't get through or if there's something else that's on your mind, uh, one sobering statistic from today from Dr. Peter Uni, the R rate, the replication rate of the virus is going up for the first time in a long time. And that is scary. So call us back free for all Friday, the original tomorrow. That's all the time for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the zoomer podcast network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone reads idea city on the air and the garden show.